Hi, Julia. We are here for episode four of Couch of Characters, but we're going to do something a little bit different tonight, I think. Uh, it is June 15th. 16th. June 16th, 2016. Six, yeah, 6, 16, 2016. 6, 16, 2016. Yeah. 16. Um, yeah. And it's been kind of a well, we've we've had a lot going on in our lives. Yeah. It's been kind of a weird week. We've mm-hmm. had the um, mass shooting in Florida. And so instead of discussing, I think we're going to do House of Cards. I'm sorry, listeners, um, who are maybe hoping for House of Cards discussion. We are going to do that down the road. We're actually going to have a discussion tonight about um, our systemic take on how our American society is functioning right now. Yes. And we'll just have a discussion about it and see where this takes us. And then maybe we'll delve into a little bit of feels like we talked about ethics and self-care too, but maybe a little bit of self-care mm-hmm. um, and then save this all. It's all connected actually ethics and self-care as well, but mostly to discuss, I want to pick your brain, Madeline, mm-hmm. about what you think is going on um, yeah. in our world. So I think, and I think the, the reason we tie self-care and ethics to that, Julia, is because the answer to how can you care for yourself and still feel appropriately connected to other people lies in these sort of self-care notions or these ethical mm-hmm. codes. Because part of what sort of inspired us to have this conversation was this idea that as a therapist, as an LMFT, a licensed marriage and family therapist, you're giving to others, like you're assessing, implanting yourself and removing yourself repeatedly Mm -hmm. from people's systems so that you can be empathic and compassionate and put the client first. If you don't do it in an ethical way, and if you don't take care of yourself while you do it, you can't sustain that work. Mm -hmm. And when we sort of look around... um, with like to the generation today, the I generation with, with, um, sort of this very almost like it's been called a narcissistic epidemic. It's very egocentric. Um, there, you know, I think 50 years ago, the idea that somebody would take a picture of themselves and put 70 different filters on it would have been shocking to some, like what's entertaining about that. And, and we're all guilty of it. We love the selfie, right? Yeah. Um, so I think this, I, we can sort of draw some connections between this sort of loss of ethics and personal self-care um, and what's going on today in the world. We can draw this connection of this idea that we, we've we lost connection. We've lost, I think, personal connections yeah. with people. So some of the things that are coming to mind for me is um, in thinking about systems is that we, in the, the 90s, the internet started and suddenly there was this mechanism for us to communicate with everybody more than ever before. And there was also a mechanism now to get more information than we've ever had before. And in thinking about how the internet has changed and shaped our lives, like your selfie, like you said, people 50 years ago were trying to, like we're working and spending time with their families and maybe even struggling a little bit. They can't imagine that idea of, of taking a picture. So we have that, we have the internet um, that's completely changed our lives. And I think it's a, it's a great source of information and I think it brings a lot of joy and happiness to people, but it also brings a lot of suffering. And we would just have to turn off the internet, but we can't, it almost has this addictive quality. I was on Facebook today and I was like, I feel every day I'm like, it's a love-hate relationship with Facebook. Mm-hmm. I love it because I can connect with family and friends that I don't get to spend a lot of time with, but then there's a lot of things on Facebook that really, really frustrate me. 
Yes. Yep. And we'll talk a little bit. So I'm, I'm certified in internet psychology, which I think is a really interesting mm-hmm. systems mm-hmm. thing as a licensed marriage and family therapist. So we can talk a little bit about how, how I've sort of married those ideas. Mm-hmm. But Dr. John Suler writes about the disinhibition effect. And I think when we look at what your, your brain does on the internet, it's, it's sort of reflective in the tech age of what, what people's brains are doing in interpersonal relationships. Okay. So uh, Julia and I, um, we are a little nerdy and we like that. So we, we were talking about uh, soloplastic, and I'm, I'm probably saying it wrong, soloplastic interjection where minds meld um, over over online chat. And so your brain's lit up because you're looking at a screen and then you get an email message. The voice of the person in the email becomes part of your own thought process in your head as you read it, just like when you read a letter. Except that unlike a paper letter, your brain's lit up on the, with the backdrop of a screen and you can interactively respond immediately. Um, you can do caps, you can do emojis, you can do all sorts of things that make you feel very connected. Um, and the, the flip side of that is when you're being cyberbullied, you feel just as hurt, if not more hurt, than if the person was sort of in the room with you. So online, our brains and our personalities become disinhibited. You can be whoever you want to be. Um, and you can present yourself however you want, and you can look for what Julia called sameness. Mm-hmm. So if you have any sort of um, maybe even mildly dysfunctional or slightly dangerous ideas about the world, um, you're not going to be sort of disinhibited from those ideas. You're going to be reinforced But every time you go and look for like-minded people. Um, it's so different than if you had to go to the library and go to like a social group in the walking, talking world. Um, that's policed where everybody has to be who who they are. are. And so then what you bring up is an excellent point. So if you're on the internet and you're finding these things, you're getting a lot of validation for your belief system. And then because you're doing that on the internet, you're probably not going out into the world experiencing through all of your senses what other people are doing. And so then does that create fear So if you, and it's, I think it becomes challenging once you start, once your brain starts lighting up in this way, it wants more and more and maybe is less inclined to seek out, seek that out in Mm -hmm. other ways. So you're creating now uh, more and more internet use. And then what I think society has continued to talk about is, is, you know, an isolation of the family as an isolation Mm -hmm. of people where my parents would talk about how they would leave the house in the morning and go play with their friends all day long, and the expectation was they come back for supper. Right. I don't think that exists right now in the United States. I, I don't know. I could take a poll, I mm-hmm. suppose, of parents and say, you know, are you letting your kids, like, it's mm-hmm. literally like, get out of the house, go, come back right. later. But now there's fear. Right, and I think that was the norm. Like, I hear, when I hear, like, very like thoughtful, healthy parents describe that. It, they describe it so differently. They describe it as a battle to get the child outside. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's sort of like, or not even a battle maybe, just like they are unique. Like this idea that, you know, well, I make sure that Huey goes outside <laughs> for four hours a day. That was a thing that if you can imagine um, in sort of a baby boomer generation or, or even before then, yep. what that would have been just a weird statement to even make. Right. Like it would have just been a given mm-hmm. that there wasn't any other entertainment to access. Right. So it wouldn't have been a topic of conversation. Yeah. More likely it would have been, where's my kid? Oh, yeah. they'll be home for dinner. Like it's right. just very different. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. So 
look up John Suler. Um, I can't find the exact, I'm looking for the exact article that that's one my favorite one, but they, they talk about your brain online and they talk about all the different things that it does. But he also has a lot of great stuff about sort of the psych, the psychology of text relationships. <laughs> and, oh. and, and we can sort of connect this back. Well, and we won't get too political, but we can mm-hmm. connect it back to just sort of, you know, when, when somebody is driven by belief systems to harm a whole group of people, mm-hmm. um, that's, that's not a thing that just happens. I mean, that's systemically fed, um, in our society. And is it, yeah. is it good? Maybe we should have a discussion about just some basic terms of systems mm-hmm. in the marriage and family therapy world. Sure. Um, so that we have a basis for the audience to know what we're talking about. Well, I think the first thing LMF marriage and family therapists believe very much is everything is interconnected. There is nothing that exists in isolation. And that is the truth of the system. Part of what sets apart marriage and family therapists is that they took systems theory, which was science theory, and they applied it to a family. Yes. Mm -hmm. So one of the biggest things that we know about systems Mm -hmm. is that we first of all we're all in different types of systems and once a system is created the system wants to maintain homeostasis yes so all the feedback the system gets is sort of filtered through so interactional patterns Mm -hmm. and they call it a feedback loop and when you get messages that are more of the same or that keep things in a homeostatic light, those are like the positive messages. Yeah. And the messages that sort of contradict that, that fight against the current, usually get fleshed out pretty quick. So an example might be um, if somebody were to try and change a pattern in their interpersonal relationship, mm-hmm. for example. Um, so if Julia finally asked me to stop oversharing all of my my personal <laughs> hygiene things yes. with her, I would I would you know, I don't know if I would be able to. But she right. it, so if she didn't want to hear about my hygiene anymore, mm-hmm. and she changed the pattern of our relationship where I tell her all of all of those things, mm-hmm. um, she would probably feel incredible discomfort in setting that boundary with me that because it's correct. a change in our interactional yep. pattern. And I would either remain with her with this change, which mm-hmm. would in turn be extremely uncomfortable for yeah. me, or I would exit the system. That would be my homeostasis. Mm-hmm. So I would go find a different friend that wants to yes. hear about my deodorant. Like yes. So that, that would be like the example. And that's why you would, see... Would you also try before you would exit the system? And it's, so it's totally dependent on how much information is allowed. So we talk yes. about closed and open systems. Yes. So one tactic Madeline might mm-hmm. try is when I've tried to change that is she might try to do more of it to see if I'm really going to hold that boundary. Yes. And that's where uh, behaviorism actually comes yes. in, Julia, because that, that's an extinction burst. So yeah. I might try to see if I can explode with the deodorant talk. Right. And if I'll just win you over. With, exactly. With so teen so, spirit. Exactly. I love teen <laughs> I know. spirit. So yes. Yeah, so Madeline might be like, okay, I'm going to try this. I'm going to see. And then my response. So then it goes to how strong is the system? Uh-huh. How strong is the homeostasis? So am I going to feel so strongly that I'm really ready to make changes and toe the line? And this is where we get into boundary talk. Yeah. Boundaries. Mm-hmm. Um, and let Madeline be uncomfortable, or am I going to be like, oh my gosh, she can just tell me about teen spirit. It's totally fine. And right. then the system goes back to homeostasis, or I'm going to use the term normal in this case. Mm-hmm. Our relationship stays the same in this interaction. Yes. Yep. Perfect. So that's, so that's ex- exactly, so that's just the way systems function. And it is really scientific and you can watch it. Um, when you study intergenerational family therapy, there's a reason when you look at a, a like a genogram mm-hmm. that an, a common pattern in families um, where, where there's been alcoholism in one generation. So you'll see alcoholism in the next generation. You might see some depression and then you'll see alcoholism again and then some depression. 
or you'll see patterns of abuse and maybe they'll skip different generations. It's because the way the input into the systems, it doesn't want to change. It's also like physics, like mm -hmm. objects in motion stay in motion, yes. objects at rest stay at rest. Yeah. So, and it, these, all these things really connect, whether you're a behaviorist or a licensed marriage yes. and family therapist, physics doesn't go away. So like, like science doesn't go away, math stays the same. So really our relationship patterns are a collection of interactions that are reinforced or punished that right. develop into, you know, who we are as individuals, mm -hmm. who we connect with as other people, and then who we are as a society. So it's like a whole bigger it's, thing. It's so good. It's sort of, I always, when we ever, and ever, when I used to teach and talk about systems, my head starts to spin because it's really, once you, once, and I remember Mort, our, my old systems professor was like, once you start thinking this way that mm -hmm. you don't think in a linear fashion, mm -mm. your mind is blown and then it's like a blessing and a curse because you suddenly see the word the world function in a completely different way and you can never go back mm -hmm. and it can become very, I get over very overwhelmed sometimes when I see how everything becomes connected and often it, things happen so fast mm -hmm. that I can't even verbalize. Like like part of this discussion tonight is, is, is articulating mm -hmm. some of the ideas I have about it in order for me to help understand because it's right. not something I feel like I can do like on my own and it becomes too overwhelming yes of yeah. how everything is connected and I think we try very hard in our government and and society so like everything is related mm -hmm. to say like I'm not part of the problem or it's not because we can't come to agreement in Congress that this is happening over here mm -hmm. we deny and we actually have become fabulous deniers of yes yeah of of having of being of, of personal responsibility, which goes back to the narcissistic sort of I uh, mm -hmm. society that we're currently living in, and is that because it's it's because of all of these things, right? And and whenever there's this rigid force that pulls people apart, um, it's usually fear based, right? It, yes. it usually evolutionarily has an initial sort of reason why it makes sense, but mm -hmm. it's no longer applicable. Yeah. Um, but it also, this resistance to change. So when it, I'll give it like a more, um, a more sort of like simple example. So I have a lot of clients that will tell, that will try a behavior change thing, or they'll try something different in their, in their marriage for a week or two. Mm -hmm. And, um, and we all do this. We do this yes. with diets. We do this with yeah. exercise. You know, Every day I do it. We do, yeah. yeah, we do yeah. it all the time. And they come back and they did it for a while and it was uncomfortable. So they're not saying it was painful, it was impossible, mm -hmm. it violated something for me, um, it made it so we couldn't function together. They're saying it was uncomfortable. Yeah. And so when people are uncomfortable, we're sort of conditioned to see discomfort as bad, discomfort as pain, but that's not the case anymore. So you don't want to be in pain, you don't want to be abused, you don't want to be tortured, you don't want to kill anybody. But <laughs> discomfort is like a whole different animal. Mm -hmm. When you have lived in dysfunction, Discomfort is actually the the, the, the the comfort. It's the sign that mm -hmm. because you're so comfortable in your dysfunction, yep. discomfort, not pain, is the sign that you're about to make a positive change. Yes. So that's when we look at Congress and we look at no reaching across the aisle, mm -hmm. we look at these really separate systems. That's so people are kind of boarding up their doors, you know, right. getting ready for the, the battle. <laughs> um, it's just very interesting because it's the it's the opposite of sort of where you have to go, the discomfort you have to experience mm -hmm. to have second order change, which in a system, second order change is when you, you don't, you're not just changing the behaviors, you're changing the actual patterns. Yes. It's like the rules. Yeah. The rules of the, of the behaviors change. The yeah. rules. So, so in this case, 
second order change for our Congress mm -hmm. would be, I don't even know, it would be reach, it would be, I guess I'll say it, like reaching across the aisle, making compromises and really hearing somebody else's point of view. And I also believe taking money, uh, if we were, if we're talking, are we talking second? Yeah, we're talking second order yep, change. Yeah. So would you have to take all the money, all the lobbyists out so that the elected officials are actually representing the people yeah. that voted for them mm -hmm. and not the money? And yeah, would I that mean, change? That would like, be an example of second order change. That would be, first order right. change would be maybe what happened today, which mm -hmm. is that the Republicans and the Democrats maybe came together to pass maybe mm -hmm. a couple, try to pass a couple of laws regarding gun control, but the system itself hasn't changed. The money is still filtering in, you know, there is, it's interesting. You talk about some discomfort being created, particularly for Republicans who have been backed by uh, gun lobby groups, mm -hmm. freedom, you know, freedoms, uh, wanting, I'm sure I'm understanding it's the fear of losing our personal freedoms, yes. which, which is the issue. And I'm trying to be really good at listening to both sides and holding space for that. Mm -hmm. But then becomes a fear if you're up for re-election year that you're going against the money. Yep. Yeah. Even if you're getting phone calls from your constituents saying this needs to change. Mm-hmm. And I think that that happens at so every then you back out. right. You back out. Yeah, it happens at every layer. Mm -hmm. I think we've um, we've sort of that. It's like a fear management system. And oh, I like that. It's, it's, I, yeah. I'm gonna my fear management system <laughs> says I can't come to work today. Right. Well, and you, most people's fear management systems say follow the money. Yeah. Because it, it's, it's this, comforting. It is. It's a comforting thing, and and it's sort of. And who who wants to live with it's once when you've lived without it it's pretty painful right well and does it yeah is it go hand in hand with power I mean does it go hand in hand with power mm -hmm. if you you I don't know if you've ever wanted to be a politician your whole life but maybe you did maybe you thought it was going to be this noble cause and you have to take money mm -hmm. so you have to play in the system yes because I can be a noble politician and say I'm going to become a politician and Bernie Sanders has done this to some extent but I'm not going to accept any money from any groups. And you're never going to get elected. So then you, and this goes to House of Cards, but then you have yep. to play the game and you think maybe in your mind, I can play this game, but I'm still going to help people. And I wonder how many people sometimes in these positions now go, I'm not helping anybody but myself because now I like the power. I like being in Washington. Yeah. It just, I don't know. It, it, it happens. It's second order change in the wrong way. Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. So Julia, that's really like, that's a danger. That's so important that you bring that up because that's a danger that therapists who don't do self-care run into. Okay. Because whenever you've worked at a place or in a system for a very long time, it always, I think for a lot of therapists, not every therapist, but for a lot of them, it starts off as this very altruistic Thing. So I, I want much. to help people. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm you, gonna change the world. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna work on anxiety. Maybe yeah. you know, it might, however specific I'm help or people not be depressed anymore. Right. It's awesome. It, yeah. It starts as this beautiful thing, yeah. and then in every place there's politics and there's challenges, mm -hmm. and if you're not following your ethical codes, if you're not taking good care of yourself, you sort of it's sort of like if it's flu season and you haven't and you're not taking any vitamins kind mm -hmm. of a thing or you didn't get your flu shot whatever it is yeah. you're sort of opening yourself up to a lot of things that can be unimaginably terrible if you're not taking care mm -hmm. of yourself as a therapist and i think that's sort of that's what's happening with like new politicians that it's a if similar just, system like right? i'm going to go change the world but I don't have enough money or, you know, which I don't have enough things to take right. care of myself or I forgot the reason I came here in the first place. Yeah. And if you don't, you know, go home and 
douse herself in essential oils and right. sit in the bathtub, which is what yeah. I do for self care. Yes. That's my hygiene talk. Mm-hmm. Then you then you don't you open yourself up. You are you're almost weakening yourself. You're opening yeah. yourself up for all of all of the sort of um, blind spots you could have as a therapist. And then you, yeah. what you bring up as well, then because you're kind of what I love what you're doing is you're saying so. And it's therapists, licensed therapists, have to follow a code of ethics, mm-hmm. and these are a, a group of rules mm-hmm. um, so that you practice ethically with your clients. That would be the U.S. Constitution for our politicians, correct? Yes. Yep. But what we're dealing with is an outdated constitution. Mm-hmm. You know, there's so much debate about what the Second Amendment means. And it's really open for interpretation, as are the code of ethics for the for marriage and family therapists. Right. right? Yes. So then you need, and I don't think they have this in Congress, I don't know that they do, is who are you surrounding yourself mm-hmm. with and how are you practicing the implementation of the U.S. Constitution ethically? How are yes. marriage and family therapists, right? And there isn't anybody who really holds, I mean, I guess there are, are yeah. they, they're, you know, holding congressmen accountable for their behavior and they are for big things but is it i don't know see now this is good because it's all parallel which is is what part of systems thinking yes you can't what is it parallel parallel process yeah parallel process yes it is yes so okay and a good example of so what julia is talking about is um multiple relationships let's let's yes so we've Talk about multiple relationships. These are so fun. Yeah. And as politicians, who's your friends? Your lobbyists? Right. 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 And why should you not have sex with clients? Yes. (laughs) This is a great great conversation. It's a perfect metaphor to speak of. It is. Yeah. So let's do, like, I think those are some really good. Let's talk about why we don't have sex with our clients. Yes. Okay. So. Um, if, if you haven't, you should go to the AAMFT mm-hmm. website and you should take some of the CEU courses, listeners, um, and the ethics, codes of ethics. They're really interesting. Yeah. The ones from this year and last year and the updates are fabulous to listen to. Um, so, and just a little really quick, briefly. So I used to think that ethics were the most painfully boring thing know, you could imagine. I, and I would get scared. Right, that they're kind of scary, they're kind of threatening. I actually now, as a practicing therapist, and Julia practiced therapy for what? How many years? Like oh, a million 12 years? years or Twelve something. years, yeah. yeah. And so my thirties. Yeah, and I've been working with clients for almost ten. Mm-hmm. We're moving up on that number, yeah. and um, but as an LMFT for, of course, less than that. But I now find these ethical codes to be extremely comforting because mm-hmm. I never, I never, they sort of always get introduced as a thing. That you, when you get, if you get into trouble, you need an ethical code. Mm-hmm. But they're actually something that you can use every day, all day. I use them all the time, yeah. Even though I don't practice anymore, you, um, you can use them to like. They're just very helpful, and they actually they're not just rules. They provide you with guidance on yes. how to function. Yep. So the most interesting change, um, more recently, was people with sexual relationships with clients, which I think is a really interesting one. So ethical code 1.4 under standard one, responsibility to clients, sexual intimacy with current clients and others. So sexual intimacy with current clients or with known members of the client's family system is prohibited. So I think my understanding of this is that there's no more two-year rule. And if you watch those videos with the CEUs online, um, they're fabulous because the people who sort the boards are sort of talking about these ethical codes t- talks about um, to be actually following the ethical code. Mm-hmm. If you're if you're actually following it, you're actually being altruistic, and your work as a therapist, 
um, the two-year rule doesn't actually protect you or the client, mm-hmm. technically. That's my belief. Because if two years hits from the time that you last saw a client or a family member and it's sexy times, <laughs> how many ethical codes were you violating in those two years to build a relationship strong enough where it was sexy times oh, on the two-year date? Oh, I love dates? it. Yes. So I thought that was really interesting because, right. because this is really protecting you and protecting your it clients. Is. and. And you're right. You there's never, no, they're not messing around. No. And, yeah. and when you're dealing with, I'll go back to Mort, I guess, like Mort sat back in class one night and said, what are you guys going to do when you fall in love with your clients? And there's a lot of denial and this would never happen and right. all of that. Um, and I think it's definitely, it's a lot harder, obviously, to, um, when you work with children, you're more mm-hmm. protected from that. But if you're doing couples counseling or you're seeing adults, um, and you're not, your personal life isn't good. You haven't used good self-care. That's the point. Yeah. If you, if you protect yourself, you're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. Yeah. But if, if you're not, and you aren't taking care of yourself and you're not getting supervision and you, you're, um, you're open to counter-transference, yes. you get wrapped up in the couple's system. In the system mm-hmm. um, that's when things like this can happen. And yes, uh, if you would say, if you say, I'm going to be a therapist and I'm never going to feel attracted to one of my clients, you're setting yourself up for trouble because it's mm-hmm. okay to know to, it's, it's okay to say, Oh, that, you know, Mike, you have to be able to be in that space to admit, maybe you find a, your client attractive. And, th- and that's th- and something you, that students are, you know, yeah. deal with. And, and Julie and I have seen therapists struggle with this kind mm-hmm. of thing, therapists in denial of this kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and it, the results, if if you can't really look at yourself and read the ethical I'm codes and take care of yourself, right. yeah, are like, pretty devastating. It is. Yeah. If you if you deny that you're a human being, yeah, you know, mm-hmm. and that you 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 know find somebody, so you admit it, and then you you move on from there, and you get supervision about it, and you're able to continue to to treat your clients. And if I've seen several met, you know, I think mm-hmm. a, a population that can be tricky would be. Um, maybe people coming out of a divorce, whether it's same sex or heterosexual, who maybe find you attractive because now suddenly you're listening to them, you have empathy, mm-hmm. you're providing emotional needs to your client because of that relationship. So they may suddenly start feeling attracted to you. Right. You, and you, ha- you have to, the, the, so Julia supervised me for a long time mm-hmm. and the smartest thing she ever said to me when I, when I would like have, I had some, you know, some clients that would express mm-hmm. affection yes. and I would talk to Julia about how to manage that. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if a client's falling in love with you, it's really not about you. Mm-hmm. It's about what's going on for them. And it's true. If you're having feelings for your client, that's your problem. Yep. It's not theirs. You're right. in a hierarchically sort of Correct. elevated position mm-hmm. as the caregiver, the therapist. Um, so it's a position of power and whether you like it or not, yeah. like that's the thing to grapple with. And so those feelings are sort of residual counter-transference yeah. systems bumping up against each other. I have a good example, not about necessarily attraction, but this goes to counter-transference mm-hmm. for myself. Um, Niall and I were seeing uh, in family doing in-home family Oh, and these therapy. people Julia is saying are all amazing therapists. Yes. These are all, Niall's the best Niall, person. We yes. miss you, Niall. We'll get you on the podcast someday. Yes. Um, and what I noticed about this family, lovely family, really sweet, but the dad of this family mm-hmm. reminded me of my own father. Great, yeah. And so I automatically agreed with and sided with everything he said <laughs> toward his wife. Like that was the job. So what uh-huh. I would do specifically in therapy, would I would agree with mom. It felt counterintuitive at the time. So you would make yourself do that. I would make myself do that yep. because I knew 
what was going on. I was paying attention to that and I had that awareness or I would let Niall take the lead on some of those sessions because I was like, I, you know, mm-hmm. counter transference is strong in me today. Yes, yeah. You know, like the force, the force, the, force is strong the counter transference force. So, yeah. I, so that is, that's an example um, of what counter transference is and that relationship, you know, it, when it wasn't sexual, but it was like, Oh my right. God, it's a young version of my father. Of course he's right. So, Right. Yes. Yeah. And and I feel like we've been lucky to not have like the sexual issues so, with our clients, but yes, lots too. of students have those issues yes. with their clients yeah. and that's okay. You just have to be aware and right. seek the appropriate supervision. So that would be, and How Julia, about, one of the things to think about is so to get to a level where you can have a feeling like Julia and differentiate it like yes. you did from an instinct about what to do as a therapist yes. or from because sometimes we see what we want to see. Even mm-hmm. if you have all the theories in the scientific yeah. literature, right. you might look for the thing or read the thing. Or, you know, mm-hmm. especially if you're really smart, you might find the thing yeah. that makes you feel good about your idea and not be in a place of such good self-care like what you described where you can look at that. Yeah. And, and Julia is the self-care guru. So she could look at that and go, oh, that's counter-transference. Yeah. I'm just agreeing with this one person. And that's not normal for Julia to just agree exactly. with one person right. in a family system. So the level of self-care that Julia w- would have been doing at that time, I mean, mm-hmm. you can list some of the things like probably yoga, body pump. Yo- <laughs> like, yeah. Like that all these. A lot. Driving yeah. in the car with a really good co-therapist. Yeah. I mean, so, you know, being able, being, so there's a trust relationship with your co-therapist. And this would be with co-therapists. It would be with supervisors mm-hmm. and colleagues. Yes. To say. Mm-hmm. To not be embarrassed and to say this is what's happening. Um, at that time, uh, driving in the car was always therapeutic for us. Great um, for in-home family therapy because you'd have time to talk about the sessions in between. Um, mm-hmm. Yes, yoga, body work, all of that. Um, I was doing all of those things. Yeah. So so that and having good differentiation of self and like that's I mean that's where our training comes in and good supervision comes in because I don't know mm-hmm. you know. Before that, if I would have, you know, I try to think of with my, some of my families prior to that and some of the other work I was doing, Mm -hmm. um, I think I'd still reflect on that, but I know at that time I was licensed. I had some, you know, it doesn't like come automatically for everybody. I think, Mm -hmm. um, I do think the, depending on the program you go to, it can prepare you well. I think we were, I felt prepared well with that at Edgewood. We heard a lot about that. Yes. And um, we did role plays. Yes. And I mean, self-care, like self-care and differentiation mm-hmm. between you and your clients was such a huge topic. Yeah. It was because so helpful. <laughs> yeah. Be, because you can't pretend that you're, that the system won't affect you right. because then you don't understand some, right. some, you know, systems. Yeah. yeah. So can the, we do, let's yeah. do multiple relationships. Great. So can you, let's, what's a good example of multiple relationships? So, okay. So 1.3 ethical code, multiple relationships. I'll read it and we'll talk about it. So marriage and family therapists are aware of their influential positions with respect to clients. So that's like when we talk, we jokingly call it sexy times. But when we talked about that, that was just an update about the code that changed. But there are lots of other ways that you could be influential in your position as a marriage and family therapist. So they avoid exploiting the trust and dependency of their clients. So therapists, therefore, make every effort to avoid conditions and multiple relationships Mm -hmm. with clients that could impair professional judgment or increase the risk of exploitation. Such relationships include but are not limited to business or close personal relationships with a client or the client's immediate family. So when the risk of impairment or exploitation exists due to conditions or multiple roles, therapists document the appropriate precautions taken. 
And so, and that was so amazing in the internship experience. Again, like I took at the ethics class, I thought this is really interesting. I will have, I won't have to use these skills. They'll just be there to protect me if I need them. And I think we use them like every day mm-hmm. in internship. Like things come up all the time. People, people try to it's give you small. money. <laughs> they try to do yeah. It. <laughs> like in the room, people try to give you gifts. They give you money. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it. It also. What's great about these discussions is there's context. So doing in-home family therapy, you're in people's homes. You have to consider cultural context Mm -hmm. because sometimes it's really insulting if you refuse food from a certain um, culture or heritage of people. Um, And sometimes you do have to accept gifts because it would be truly insulting Julia, not. and that is code 3.9. There it is. Brill- Julia so, gifts. Mm-hmm. So smart. So marriage and family therapists attend to cultural norms when considering yes. whether to accept gifts from um, gifts or accept them or give them to clients. And marriage and family therapists consider the potential effects that receiving or giving gifts may have on clients and on the integrity mm-hmm. and efficacy of the therapeutic relationship. Right. So if you refuse food as the therapist, you're still, you don't get to not be the therapist. That's the way to think about all this. So like you don't get to finish your family therapy session, pop open a beer, put a hat on and go, go eat some corn chowder. Right. You don't don't get to do that. Like you don't get to, now I'm your neighbor. I was your therapist. Now I'm your neighbor. This this goes up to, I think particularly um, maybe rural areas where everybody Mm -hmm. knows everybody. So you go and you open up a private practice, maybe back in your hometown and Everybody knows everybody, and and so sometimes it's really it's an and it's inevitable because mm-hmm. you know some you go into the local Ace Hardware and then Johnny Ace Hardware, the son, mm-hmm. the ends corn up, chowder magician yeah, of that county, shows up in yeah. therapy because you're the only <laughs> therapist in town, and then yes. you go out and have drinks with your husband at the only bar, mm-hmm. and half your clay caseload is there, and so you really you know you have to navigate those waters. Yes. The way that co and really decide, you know, and that's a really good. That's another good point, Julia. Who's responsible for navigating those waters? The client or the therapist? The therapist. The therapist is ding 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 ding. The therapist has to do that, and there may be times where it's imperative for the therapist to make a referral or head off a referral at the pass. So if you get a referral and you're like, okay, I have a conflict, then it's your job as the therapist to contact the client and say. I'm really sorry. This isn't going to work, you know, because I think we also have in our personal Mm -hmm. lives, lots of people we know who have kids. And if you're a kid therapist, it's like, oh, can I bring my kid to see you? Like, and of course you want to help your friend. Right. But But it's not, it's it's not, not in the best interest of the client. It's not, you know, so you say, I would love to help you. And here's how I'm going to help you. Here's a list of five therapists who you don't know Mm -hmm. who can see your child. Yes. Yeah. You know. There's all, and that that's really helpful too. And usually, the thing is, is that um, if you're like me and you you prefer to say yes to people mm-hmm. rather than no, it's actually the the codes made it really easy for me to say no to all sorts of things. Like right, they're you know, the, and they it's funny they're the bad guys. Yeah, you just blame the code. Well, right. actually, the rules of of my license state that this this and this happens. Here's some ideas for you. People are lovely about it. They don't yeah. they don't get mad at no. you. And I mean, it's rare that they do. If they do, they were, if they get mad at you about this, they were already mad usually. Right. And they're looking for a reason to express that anger. Yeah. So that's really, that's really good. So how would we apply multiple relationships and Mm -hmm. having good ethics around that to our current political state? Yes. Yeah. 
Yeah. So, okay. One of the things we, so we'll, cause I think our three themes are sort of ethics in LMFT yep. politics um, and, and self care kind of goes in there. Yeah. But then the other piece of it, we kind of talked about this sort of um, egocentric generation or egocentric mm. culture. Yeah. Um, so what's interesting about this notion of multiple relationships is that having all sorts of um, people a click away online makes it way easier and way more challenging to have all sorts of multiple relationships because it's really easy mm -hmm. to Facebook friend, you know, all the, your clients. It's yeah. super easy and, and it, you shouldn't do it. No. Um, but it's way easier. It was, used to be like 50 years ago, if you were a therapist with a client, it was going to be way more work for you to build a multiple relationship with this yes. person as a friend or to exploit them on the internet. So that's one example. That's that's the I, the I generation example would yeah. be that now it's way easier to have multiple relationships with people or not even realize it. Um, people are so active and connected but not really, just right. sort of in a, an electronic well, and it's way. Like, it's, yeah, but it's also going back to Facebook a little bit, mm -hmm. or it's a falsehood. So these relationships you develop online, mm -hmm. whether you are, yeah, you know, I, I guess I'm going back to this idea of like why why are we so divided as a society and things like that. Right. But the internet becomes very much um, your persona online is probably not who you really are. And right. So you have you know posts that you're saying, mm -hmm. but it only shows a certain, and we make decisions around um, what we choose to share. Myself, I, my husband is um, on Facebook and meaning he has an account, but he's never on it. Mm -hmm. He's not, if I didn't have good boundaries with my husband or respected him as a human being, I would post stuff about him all the time, but I don't because he doesn't want to be on Facebook. Right. He doesn't use that. He doesn't use that. And so occasionally I post a picture so everyone knows he's alive. But other than right. that... But but then so and that and that's like someone that you you're respecting the rules of your of right. your relationship, and and not I mean you don't even you don't have a multiple relationship because that's your partner right. and you're still thinking about you yeah. know the the rules of his like sort of mm -hmm. electronic persona. Now when we take it back to where Julia had said into politics, mm -hmm. what I think is sort of interesting is online the way you present yourself online is sort of inherent with multiplicity in identity and relationships so like we hear tweets and things like trump is a great example because I and, and, let's talk about i mean we haven't talked yeah, about anyone specifically but, but i think donald trump is a really good example it's just of a his good twitter account you it's hear like yeah. everything all these personal thoughts and ideas there's no filter there doesn't appear to be filter no. or boundaries and i don't know like if it's What's interesting, and this is not a valuative statement or judgment right. about Trump or Twitter or anything, right. but like, it's just interesting to me that it creates multiplicity in the relationship. Like you, the when somebody tweets everything they're thinking, mm -hmm. whether they're doing it or someone's right. doing it for them, and or or a company yeah. is doing it for them, or a PR person is doing it. Um, it's sort of like there's no boundaries yeah. left. Like you don't know how to see a person anymore. Well, and yeah. to talk about Trump for a second, and and this goes to this persona on on Twitter, on social media, we'll mm -hmm. say social media, is that he has been just hammering Hillary Clinton. Mm -hmm. And what's a little fun fact is that Hillary and Bill Clinton attended his daughter's wedding and they were friends. So is that real? Like, right. like what's so which, real? You don't so know. what was real? Was it, well, we need the Clintons at, this will be this huge status thing by having the Clintons come to this wedding mm -hmm. or it, you know, but I've hated them my whole life. Eh. Eh, yeah, you know? but that, or, that's multiplicity, right? right. Like, that doesn't make or, sense. Yeah. Well, it doesn't matter anymore because now I have to fit into this system, this Republican GOP system that says I have to hate 
the Clintons. Right. But so I'm going to disconnect myself from the fact that they were at this wedding. I'm never going to speak of it. And I hate them. So where, where you know, yeah. this is a perfect example it's of rigidity a lot in the of, system. Right, it's a closed every, system. It's a closed system. Yeah. And he, he's attempted, I think, to bring some uh, information into this system. Bernie has certainly done it with the Democrats, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. in some ways, both, I mean, Donald and Bernie are sort of parallel in this process. And bringing info into the system. And bringing info Mm -hmm. into these established systems, the Democrats and the Republicans. Um, They're doing it in very, very different ways. And Mm -hmm. I think that's where the the love-hate literally message, um, literally, and this goes to the divisiveness, although I think Bernie has gotten a little more hostile towards Hillary, but generally, certainly, Bernie has been much more compassionate towards the people, in wanting to bring everybody together. And mm-hmm. I think, uh, and Donald has gone in trying to bring information into the system in more of a, we need to divide and conquer. Right. And you're either on board with me or you're not. And certainly right. the- And I will protect my people. Correct. Yeah, it's just a different mm-hmm. a different message. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that is, so it is all connected. So, yeah. oh no, if I, if I bring up hierarchy of needs, is that going to mess everything up that we've been talking about? Well, I think so. I mean, I, I think Maslow, we're talking about Maslow's hierarchy. Yeah. So the reason that becomes important is um, when we think about like when you think about a big problem versus a little problem, like when we look, we look at the state of our, our country and, and it's a great country and um and we've had like we have so much to be grateful. We have for. so much to be grateful for. You and I for. sitting yeah. here and podcasting about this stuff. Two ladies run amok, right? Un- unaccompanied by the gentlefolk. Right. Thank, thank you, <laughs> freedom of speech. Yes. Right? Yes. I mean, so yes, this is a wonderful country. Right. Very right. grateful to be living in this country yeah. as a woman. So, so like hierarchically, when we think about like, you know, we're not facing some of. You know, personally, we're not right. facing some of the horrific things that people are, right. you know, And there facing. are people in this country who are facing that. So acknowledging um, our white yeah. privilege, yeah. Um, even though yes. we are um, women, we are white women. And so we inherently mm-hmm. have some privilege that we bring to the table. Mm-hmm. Um, when we think about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, and I think this is where we've struggled as therapists, certainly as in-home family therapists, is mm-hmm. the first one is physiological and the first pillar is physiological. So right. it's basically being alive. Yes. You're alive. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you're meeting that need because mm-hmm. you are breathing. The second one is safety. And this is where being a therapist becomes really tricky because you have these altruistic ideas that you're going to help people mm-hmm. feel better. But if they don't feel safe right. well, and go back to physiological, pardon me, I'm going to go back one. If mm-hmm. you aren't getting adequate nutrition on a daily basis... You cannot feel safe. Right. You will not feel love and belonging. You will not have self-esteem. Mm-hmm. And you there's no point in self-actualizing. Right. And so therapists want to work up in the high part of the yes, triangle. The self-actualization. But if they aren't if if there aren't meals where you f- are getting your physiological needs met, you're never going to get How can there. You and stay so up there? you yeah. live in that primitive world of of getting food mm-hmm. and so if you've let's say you may have had a client that didn't get a lot of food um so now has felt without or if food has been withheld they have eating issues as teenagers because they don't know where their next meal is coming from and that is a primitive like that right. is the body saying i don't know what my next meal is 
and eating mm-hmm. till you get sick. Yes, and the, and, and the then parallel. Safety. And so. Julia, you had said before we started the parallels that sort of where we are politically is in that safety right. hierarchy. Like the reason maybe we don't have reaching across aisles and we don't, mm-hmm. you know, have Bernie and, and Donald dancing is because <laughs> dancing we're not in a waltz together. Yeah, we're not in a love and belonging place right no. now. We're in a, a place where a safety feels threatened. And there's a lot of people in a place where they're physiologically unsafe. So you can think about this like on the micro there, level with clients right. or the macro level with politics. Right. Yeah. And if you don't, ha- if there are groups of people in this country, and there are, and some mm-hmm. of them um, are being created by political rhetoric in terms of safety, certain groups, you safety and physiologically, those needs aren't getting met. Mm-hmm. How do you feel love if you don't feel safe? And then you have internet. You have this flow of information. We're right. going to go seek out that information that you need. And you're going to look for things of, you want to look for. This is yeah. where we're at. Mm-hmm. As opposed to saying, and then you have to have the political, you have to have the buy-in by a government. If you're going to create a government and you have a functioning government where you say, we are here for the people, you need to take care of your people. And you need to accept all the people. Right. And when you don't, mm-hmm. Here you don't have life. you don't have safety. You don't have yeah. safety. Right. So I think this is where this is sort of our discussion tonight is all kind of coming together mm-hmm. um, because you can't. We've talked about self care. Well, if right. you don't get your meal every day, self care is like not. Yeah, what is that? What is yeah. that? And safety for that matter, because you're in your fight or flight response, mm-hmm. and all you're thinking about is staying alive. There isn't much beyond that, right? You know, and then if it's chronic. That's where you live. And then when you start coming out of that, it feels really scary. And uncomfortable. And And that's where we're sort of full circling where we talked about before. When you actually make positive change, if you were to move from a place where safety was, you're mostly not your concern any longer. And you were trying to be loved Mm -hmm. and belong, which is the third hierarchy of needs um, is love and belonging. That's incredible discomfort. And we have a tendency as a country, as a political system, and as individuals and as therapists, and as do our, our clients, the families to get out of that discomfort and land right back into sort of the old patterns. I wonder too, we talk about love and belonging and Mm -hmm. it's something I think, first, we don't talk enough about this. I don't think about really looking at yourself and saying, I, and this goes to safety and physiological. So an explanation of what love and belonging means is that I, all my physiological needs are being met and I feel safe. Therefore I belong here and I am lovable. Mm -hmm. And you do a lot of work with attachment Mm-hmm. And in some yeah. ways, when I think about the narcissists and is how much of what we're dealing with trauma that we're not allowed to feel or to deal with because we really don't believe we're worth it right. or we're good enough. Right. That we love each other. If we don't have that we love, love ourselves, I mean, you right. know. Yeah, then, and that's interesting too. And as a therapist, especially as a newer therapist, you have to consider like what part of the triangle are you targeting with yeah. a family? Um, because if you're working – a great example is everyone throws self-esteem around. Yeah. So if you're working, like, for this example, so with a narcissist, like what Julia brought up, yeah. on self-esteem, like, have we examined all the other factors? I mean, I have worked with, with narcissists that aren't actually safe at home. Yeah. Like, they're not, they're not actually getting their safety needs met. They don't feel loved or like they no. belong in the world. Um, so if I start a goal on self-esteem... Yeah, how do that's that's the client's going to get frustrated, and then you're going to get frustrated, right. and then you might feel like I'm not a good enough therapist because you're working on the wrong part of the triangle. And I right. think that's really hard, especially as a new therapist, when you're dealing mm-hmm. with a multi-systemic family where there's a lot of issues going on. You and sometimes you're brought in too early 
Like right. I've learned, I feel like now as I've gotten older, it's like if if there if there isn't housing in place, if the family isn't being fed meals, it's going to be really hard to work on parenting, or it's going to be really right. hard to work on Johnny's behaviors because. You know, if he doesn't feel safe in his home, the second he feels safe somewhere, he's going to maybe create some type of problem. Reactive attachment. Right. Is Mm -hmm. aggression because Mm -hmm. he's like, wait a minute, this feels really weird. These people are being really nice to me. It's a trick. It's a trick. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to destroy this house so I get the response I'm used to. Mm-hmm. Yes, because because that because yeah, because I want to go back into my old. Feedback I want to go loop. back into my feedback loop. I need mm-hmm. I need that homeostasis, and it's crazy. Like like when we talk about it, and you think why would why would any kid do that? That's how strong these systems are that we're speaking of. Everybody, right? Like that's how strong a system can be. Mm-hmm. If you're a secretive family, one of my my previous relationships. This is a good example of two systems that were too different to really work mm-hmm. is that my um, my ex-boyfriend came from a different country where it wasn't safe. There wasn't there was a lot of political strife. And it, so the way he grew up was that you never shared your business with anybody because right. you, you could get killed, mm-hmm. literally get killed. Um, and so and then I grew up in a family where we grew up on a farm and we didn't have any. I mean, we didn't have nice things because we were farmers. Our, my childhood was rich with animals and love, um, <laughs> but not pastures. Yes. 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 Um, but we didn't lock our doors. Right. We didn't lock our doors. It's like, oh my gosh, come in, take a kit and leave. And yeah. so when we were together, Aww. you know, our social life was like, don't, Julie, we don't share that stuff with people. And we don't, you know, it was a lot of don'ts. It was a lot of fear. So much fear. Which was probably really uncomfortable. Which was yeah. really, you know, and at the end, that was part of, my, of a bunch of reasons why the relationship didn't work out because it uh-huh. did not fit in my system of like, everybody's great. Right. Because I didn't live in fear as a child that our car was going to get blown up by a bomb. Right. Which is where he lived, where these types of things would, would happen. Yeah. Um, and that, and that, that's so like, I think that that is a systemic thing because mm-hmm. that's like, that's what happened in your relationship. Yeah. That's what happens in all family and right. like big family systems. And that's what's happening in society. Yes. We're just, it's like a big stamp that says irreconcilable differences. Yes, it <laughs> like it's just, yeah. So it's, but if we don't start from a place where we're aware and you, and really like as a, as a therapist, just start with yourself. Like exactly. just, I, I mean, sometimes I just have to remind, like I have to do something physical. Like I, mm-hmm. I have to go for a walk. Like I literally just have to look at square one. Does yep. my body feel good right now? Nope. No. I'm going to get to a place where my body feels good. Exactly. Then I'm going to think about, right. You know, you're going back to your hierarchy. You're I'm like, going okay, to the bottom. Like physiological, the, yeah. you know, and it's really simple in some ways when you're a yeah. therapist and actually at work when I'm doing, this is all very usable information. Everybody, uh, if I have to write a blog at, you know, a blog post uh-huh. or if I've got to do a call schedule and I'm hungry, yeah. I should eat my lunch. And then do that work. And it's more important when you're a therapist because you really shouldn't be feeling lightheaded or be no. in a therapy session thinking about your stomach growling and all of that. No, you can't be present. You can't be present. Right. So it's important for, um, you know, what can we do individually? I think we can, you know, occasionally shut off the TV and the Internet and go outside because mm-hmm. um, I do believe we're also part of what we're doing. We haven't even talked. We can do this another day. We haven't yeah. talked about what we're doing to our earth. Um, right. Newsflash, listeners, we will be long gone and the earth will still be here. Right. Um, it may not be in its current form with the oxygen we're breathing, yes. but it's going to be here. <laughs> yeah. We will be going the way of the dinosaurs. Uh-huh. Um, but we're ignoring nature again. We're, we, we're mm-hmm. starting to replace nature with the Internet um, and getting all of our needs met through the Internet. And what is happening then is we're becoming very ungrounded and disconnected from our bodies. Right. 
And then are, that systemically translates to disconnection from other people, right. to rigid beliefs. Yes. And to and it has had more, very recently very dangerous consequences, to, you exactly. know, and separation. So yeah. So we we did get very existential today. We did. And and that's okay because it all is. these things are connected. Right. So thinking about yourself. Yeah, let's do not some in a selfie, con- but who you actually are. Right. Concrete self-care ideas, maybe yeah. as we wrap up. Sure. Um, yes. So one of the things that um, Julia used to, to do with us was the therapeutic foot rub. Yes. You can rub your own feet. Um, Any type of body work. Just rub yourself. Rub yourself. Use the tennis ball. Sit on a tennis ball. Yep. Um, but re- or doing any type of physical activity that gets you in your body. I mean, mm-hmm. so really being embodied and feeling. I think we we don't listen to our bodies enough, and it right. connects into gut instincts and stuff. And we tell ourselves we're not feeling that. Mm-hmm. Um, we we or we get scared of what our bodies are feeling. And so we, we just, deny you know, it or we change deny the message. it or change it. So I liked what you said, mm-hmm. Madeline. Like if you're feeling stuck on something, and I do this a lot at work. I have mm-hmm. a friend who gets stuck, and I'm like, take a walk. Like yeah. It's a, like get outside, but and then something that's solution focused. Do something different. So if you're doing something and you don't, it doesn't feel good. Stop doing it and do something else. But I think the body work is really important. The foot rubs are really good. Um, and sometimes when it feels most impossible to do that thing that's when you most need it yes I mean and I'll, I'll share something quick because it was mm-hmm. just a like a big wake-up moment there was I had a really particularly challenging client I was working with for many hours a week and so one night I called you Julia mm-hmm. after a session and I thought you know I needed to I thought as a new therapist I need to go and talk about all of the different systems theories that just played out and yeah. all of the things that just <laughs> happened and I have to let it all out and that is what will make this yeah. better and I started to do it and Julia's nice and she listened for a while and then she said okay okay let's stop now she said so go home take a bath yeah. and go to sleep and then I said okay okay and she said no do not stay awake I go to sleep and I went home and I took a bath and I went to sleep. But like, that's like yeah. the most basic things. Sometimes you, you need a good supervisor yeah. to tell you to do that mm-hmm. or you can't do the work. No, you can't get, get up the next day and do the work. Mm-mm. You can't. And that's like, I'm an adult. I have good, I have good routines and good right. habits. Be, being in a position where you are, you are professionally giving of yourself to other people all the time. It doesn't matter how great your habits are there. There's a whole different set of repertoire of habits that you need to be like a lifelong therapist. And I think some of you might listen and think, oh, body work, I don't have a budget for that. And sometimes I think you have to create a budget for it because it's really important. And I'll give a quick example. Sometimes the best self-care you do is when you don't do it and then you realize how pardon my language, shitty you're feeling. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, the past two months I've missed, I've had to cancel my cranial sacral appointments mm-hmm. and uh, I felt great. I don't need these appointments anymore. I don't need massage and I need to save money. I'm in a different place financially right yeah. now. And now I go see her and I'm backgrounded and my midline's off and I'm like, right. okay, this reaffirms the importance of self-care. And I think therapists, when you feel good, you're like, ah, I don't need this or self-care you we want to be careful there it's really appropriate to zone out it's appropriate to do gaming it's a you know Mm -hmm. think we've i've had some discussions with supervisees about like even like there's a difference between blowing off steam to go out drinking i'm just going to use this as an example you go drinking with your friends invent about your clients I don't think there's a single person who doesn't do that. Right. Um, while maintaining confidentiality. While ma- right. Thank you for right. saying that because that's what but, I was going to say. You may, But you go out and you're like, oh, this client, this and that. And, you know, that can happen. But if that's – that is not self-care. No. There, so it's, venting and 
And so one of my best friends and favorite colleagues that I work with said to me, she read somewhere that venting excessively was like farting in an elevator. (laughs) You needed to, you felt better in the moment and then everybody around you felt gross and then you were embarrassed. Yes. (laughs) So like, like venting is okay, but there's actually studies about it. It doesn't make you actually feel better. It doesn't make you feel better. And that's venting. I mean, we can vent about, and I think when I say clients, what I mean is also venting about your job or venting about your family or venting Mm -hmm. about any of that is not, it's, it does. You might feel good in the moment, but at the end of the day, you still don't feel better because that's not self-care. You know, mm-hmm. binge watching Netflix might be great, but if you're not moving your body and you're a slug all weekend, if you do that every weekend, that's maybe not right. good self-care. So it's important to think about the difference between zoning out, which is important, like I just right. need to zone out or I need to have four drinks. Those mm-hmm. are game for eight hours Yeah, and self-care because yeah, and maybe my definition of self-care has changed a little bit because I think part of self-care is really being in your body. Right. And and, think and of, doing things to be in to your be, body. And you can think of it metaphorically, too. Like, are you working through something or shutting it off? Ooh, I like that. that's two different things. Yes. So, like, if, if yeah. my... Yeah. If gaming, if by playing a video game is helping you work through something, is that right. self-care? Maybe it is. It might be. And, but, but... We kind of know from the literature it doesn't yeah. do that. Well, I don't think adding <laughs> but, screens. Right, sc- screens. So those are actually regulating for your high brain. Yeah. So if if you – that's the other thing to remember is regulation strategies, things that put you in your body, things that make you feel better. So video gaming might be one of those, but it might be something that happens in the middle of the day instead of right before bed. Yes. It might be something you do when you need to alert yourself mm-hmm. or when you have 10 minutes to shut off your brain because you can't work through or process through something yeah. you just experienced. But when it's actually time to work through something, make sure you're not just medicating or shutting it off. Exactly. And things that things like you know, internet, um, Netflix, gaming, those love those things we love. Drugs. We don't love drugs, but (laughs) but all those things we love are the things. Yeah. If you're medicating with them rather than working through stuff with them, um, the problem doesn't go away Mm -hmm. or it manifests itself in some other way. Exactly. So. And then I think you get, that's where we, and we need to wrap up, but that's where mm-hmm. we hit burnout or compassion fatigue. Yes. Is we, and that's when our boundaries start to suffer. And that's when we start doing things that aren't as ethical because again, right. it's a system and everything is connected. And you, and you can turn on the TV and you can see yep. that happening out in the yep. world. And if yep. you're feeling world weary, I do think, um, because I feel like therapists, you know, and some of you who are listening, you might be really empathic. And so so turning on the news, being on the internet, um, all of that, because today I was like, I don't think I can do anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think like my system, my highly empathetic system mm-hmm. has hit its limit and I'm ready to crawl under a rock. And it's hard to really disconnect and turn things off. But that can be one of the healthiest things you can do. Yes. Yeah. You know, and then maybe put your hands in dirt. Yeah. Some. Yeah. Uh, go plant a tree. Go plant a tree. Yes. Um, yeah. Well, Madeline, this was it. Awesome. This was fun. Yes. Do you have any final words? I think just, you know, plant a tree. Don't fart in elevators. Don't fart in elevators. Um, no one likes that. Yeah. And and stay stay sort of connected to the people that you love. Yes. Yeah. Stay connected. Face to face. Face to, yes. In the walking, talking world is one of my brilliant clients said because um, we are connected in so many ways. We're connected through the internet. Yeah. Um, and so when I said to this client... You know, you're just so disconnected. She said, no, I'm not. I'm connected to everybody through the internet. And she goes, oh, you mean the walking, talking world. So stay in the walking, talking world. 
Yes. <laughs> thank so this, you. Thank you. This is Couch of Characters with Madeline and Julia. Uh, you can email us. No one's ever emailed us yet. We, well, we have one. We had one, one assistant senior treatment manager email, we I did. think. I believe, yes. Um, but you can email at couchofcharacters at gmail.com uh, mm-hmm. and put in your request for our next podcast regarding a TV show or film. Right. Um, and then you can tweet at us. I believe it's at Couch Characters. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. And that's it. Thank you guys for listening. I hope you enjoy it, and yes. we will talk soon. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.